Ryan. I am Heather Ryan, and uh, my husband and I have been through a tough journey. He's uh, struggled with internet porn for 12 plus years. My wife and I, uh, after our 17th anniversary, uh, which was in 2009, we'd had lots of issues just like every married couple. But in 2000, that summer, uh, we were really having a tough time. I knew we were pretty close to probably divorcing. Things weren't right. Things didn't feel right. I didn't think I had done anything wrong. And I thought, I can't get any lower. I just can't get any lower. There's so many distractions today and things that can take you off course that are put out there by Satan. And one of those being uh, internet porn addiction and how so many men are involved, and especially there's a, over 60% plus a, a percentage of every congregation, male-wise, that are dabbling in some form of this. And I sat there in my chair and just said, I want to make my, my kids proud, and I want to reconnect because my heart's with you, God, but uh, I need help. You don't realize that there is a large percentage of people that are going through the same thing um, and aren't ready to face it. Um, and we didn't necessarily face it the first several times it hit us. It had to be the right time for both of us to face it. Otherwise, I don't think we would have made it through. I remember just totally now knowing that I was just totally broken and uh, I was empty. Hard part's been reconstructed by marriage and reconstructing. My wife's trust. It's been very difficult. But we've come a long ways. A long ways. And we're so blessed with this whole ordeal. It's taught us that especially what I was dealing with, a man wasn't equipped to, to address this on his own. He needed help in that being God. And you know, they say, you know, God wants us broken, so we give up everything to Him. Well, uh, He has it. For every male, it's very, very important to have intimate male relationships with godly people. So you can surround yourself as to help support your foundation. Without those people, uh, it's very difficult to get through life. And your chances are you're going to screw up again. If you are involved in that, don't wait. Step forward, swallow your pride, lay it all upon God, because He will heal heal you. Um, kind of my mantra has always been since over the last year and a half is when things get tough. I always ask myself, do you truly think that God can't bring you that same happiness except in His form? And the answer here today is yes. Now, I wish I could tell you that uh, the story that you just um, saw on the screen was unique. Um, I wish I could tell you that I've never heard a story quite like that before, but unfortunately, I've heard many, many stories like that. And uh, I know that uh, in churches all over America and, and in this church as well, there are, there are men and there are women who are living secret lives, living secret lives trapped in some kind of sexual addiction. I, I know of people who have had substance abuse issues, and you may be someone in, in that category this morning, whether it's an alcohol issue or a drug issue or maybe even a, a prescription drug issue or something like that. You, just, you, you secretly struggle and struggle, not willing to get any help until the bottom falls out of your life. 
Um, I, I've, I've been around families where there's an abusive situation going around, and, and I've heard the stories, but everyone in the, in the house is too afraid to, to talk about it or, or to confront it. It's, it's the huge family secret that is being swept under the rug that, that nobody wants to talk about. I've had several friends in ministry, um, including some of our own church planners, friends of mine uh, who, who we go way back as pastors who have led secret lives. They've had affairs sometimes for, for many years, or they've stolen funds from a church bank account. And, and once they're exposed, everything is rocked to the core. A marriage is rocked to the core. A family is often destroyed. Lives are ruined. You can only keep a secret life for so long before it finds, out, finds you out and wrecks your life. If there was ever a guy in the Bible who lived a secret life, it was Samson. Samson was a man, as we, we spoke of last week, he was a man of, of incredible strength. But he was, at the same time, a man of incredible personal and spiritual weakness. And Samson often struggled in the heat of the moment when he was, when he was pressed by his enemies or he was, he was led on by his own personal lust. However, what we're going to learn today is that it was his uncontrolled spirit where there was where there was no pressure, where there was no one around that paved the way for his public failure. And here's the deal. What you keep in private matters because it reveals the true you. What you keep in private matters because it reveals the real true you. Now, why do we keep secret lives? Why do so many people outside the church, inside the church, pastors, whatever, why do so many people keep secret lives? I think one of the reasons is because we think we can with no consequences. And this is one of the biggest lies that Satan tells us. You can keep this secret sin and no one will ever know. No one will ever find out or somehow, somehow God is giving you a pass. You're different than anyone else in this world. God's giving you a pass. Or, or somehow as long as no one else knows, it's not going to hurt anyone. Psalm chapter 90 verse 8 says, You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. There is not a secret that you are keeping that God does not know about. God knows everything that you're doing. He never gives a pass to sin. And, and, and there are always consequences. Another reason why we sometimes live secret lives, keep secret sins, is because we're afraid that someone is going to discover the real me. Listen, the real you is who you are when no one's looking. Behind a closed door, when your wife or your husband, your children, your friends are not around, that's the real you. And so many people are scared to death that someone is going to expose the real them. So they choose to hide their sin, and, and that's never a good idea. Luke chapter 2, Jesus gives a strong warning to those who think they can live a double life. In, in, in Luke chapter 12, verse 2, he says, But there is nothing covered up that will not be revealed and, and hidden that will not be known. Accordingly, what you have said in the dark will be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in inner rooms will be proclaimed upon the housetops. Now, Jesus is speaking primarily to the Pharisees here, but it's a warning against a, a future judgment against hypocrisy. And he says, one day everything that's being covered up will be revealed. It's going to be, ma be made known by God. All of our stuff, all of our secret stuff is going to be discovered. It's going to be enlightened. Another reason we struggle is because we don't have a strong support system around us. And, 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 and this is where we bring Samson into the story. If you take your Bibles and turn to Judges chapter 14, it says in verse 1 that our friend Samson went down to Timnah and saw there a young Philistine woman. And he re when he returned, he said to his father and mother, I have seen this Philistine woman in, in Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. His father and mother replied, isn't there an acceptable woman among your relatives or among all our people? And 
Must you go to the uncircumcised Philistines to get a wife? But Samson said to his father, get her for me. She is the right one. His parents did not know that this was from the Lord who was seeking an occasion to confront the Philistines, for at that time they were ruling over Israel. Now, I want to camp out on something for a moment. I want to camp out on something uh, that, that these verses, I think, bring to light. And I want to talk to the parents that are in this room for just a moment. As a parent, you can be a contributing factor to your kid's life being wrecked by secrets and by secret sin. You look at what's happening in this passage of scripture here in verse two, Samson looks at his dad and he says, I have seen this Philistine woman go out and get her for me. Bring her to me. I want her as a wife. Now you say, well, why is that a problem? Because if you look in, in, in Exodus chapter 34, verse 16 or Deuteronomy chapter seven, verse three, God gave a very specific command for the Israelites not to marry foreign people who worship foreign gods. Samson's mom and dad were godly people. We see that in chapter 13. They were praying when Samson was born. Lord, how do we, how do we raise this young boy up to be a godly man? How do we raise this, this little boy that you have set up apart for a specific purpose? Matter of fact, his father says to him, he said, isn't there an Israelite woman that you find acceptable? I mean, he even went, isn't there a relative, a cousin that you can? I mean, he's bringing some deep south into this thing. I mean, couldn't, you, couldn't you bring... Why do you have to go after this ungodly woman? Why do you have to do this? Samson gets stronger in his request. He says, get her for me, dad. She's the right one. Now at this point, Samson's father should have looked at him at his son and said, absolutely not. Listen, I'm not going to have anything to do with this. I'm not going to have any part of this and neither are you. But that's not what happens. Samson, Samson's parents caved to his request. And by doing that, they actually enabled his, his disobedience. Now, in verse 4, look at it for a moment. It looks like God has actually planted this seed of disobedience inside of Samson. But as you dig into this verse, you realize that God chooses to use Samson in spite of his disobedience to carry out his purpose. Now, let me tell you why I feel the need to bring this up to parents. I remember when I was in high school, um, I had a friend who... who, who um, used to hold a keg party after all of our high school football games, all the football players and, and cheerleaders. We would all go over to, to this girl's house and keg parties were a big deal back then. They probably, probably still are, but um, there was a keg at this party and, and that's where, where everybody hung out on Friday nights. And I cannot tell you how many of my friends I watched drive away from this house totally stoned. When I was a, a student pastor, I was a student pastor for nine years. I used to watch moms literally push their daughters into bad relationships. And many times these relationships ended up being things that would wreck their daughter's lives. I watched them do the same thing with their sons as if they were trying to live their lives out through their kids. I've talked to parents whose, whose son or daughters were struggling with alcohol issues and yet they refused to, to remove their kids' main source of supply from their own home. I can't tell you how many dads' secret stash of porn became a catalyst to a son become addic addicted to, to pornography. Now as parents of teenagers, I, I'm watching... I'm watching a, a generation of parents who are more concerned about being a friend or a buddy to their kids than they are about being a parent. I, I don't have a personal Facebook account, but I do have access to it. And I'm going to tell you something. I, I watch women in this church, I mean, put stuff on their Facebook, women in their 30s, 40s. I mean, half-dressed profile pictures. Y'all look like a bunch of hoochie mamas. Listen, you know what? Act your age. Okay. Be, be a mom that your girls look to and say, that's the kind of woman I want to be. Not, 
the kind of woman that I want to party with. Why don't you look, be a man, be a man that puts something, if you don't put something on your Facebook, be, put stuff up there that your son can see. That's the kind of guy I want to be. Live your life as your, your son can see. That's the kind of guy I want to be, not the kind of guy I want to hang out at a bar with. See, our job is, as parents is to do whatever it takes to protect our children from the influences that would harm them and, and, to, and to equip them for the future and to lead them to be fully devoted followers of Jesus. And you can't do that if you are enabling your, 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 your children to, to, to either sin or to leave a, a, or you're either, either leading a secret life yourself. You are a parent first and you are a friend second. And that means sometimes you need to say the words, no. That means that you have to take some drastic measures sometimes that may cause your kids not to like you for a little while. And for some of you, that's your worst fear. But your worst fear is going to create a problem in your, in your home that's going to last and have, have uh, uh, consequences that you may have to live with for a lifetime. I've been involved with some situations in this church where parents decided to gut up and they decided to, to do the right thing. They intervened. Many times I was involved in it and they rescued their children from, from a harmful, situ, harmful situation. They exercised some tough love and, and for a while their kids hated it for it. They hated them. But eventually they came back around and they realized the wisdom and courage that mom or dad had to show. And they loved them for that. Parents, do not enable your child's disobedience to God. Do not enable your children to pursue a secret life that could wreck their life. Do whatever you have to do to protect your kids from this enemy named Satan who is out to destroy them. He has no mercy on your kids just because they live in your home. The Bible says he's out to devour them. And if you don't gut up and if you don't get some boundaries and if you don't have some consequences with some real teeth behind them, you're setting your kids up to be devoured. How many times do we look at our kids and go, I'm going to count to three. And if you don't do this, bad things are going to happen. One, two, and our kids are looking at us going, oh, we know what happens at three. Nothing. I'm going to count to five now. At five, bad things are going to happen. Sure. What happened to three? We need to create boundaries that got in consequence that have real teeth. Why? Because we love our kids. We love our kids. And we keep, you see, we, we see the story with Samson. I mean, he, what's that? He's starting to get devoured. He disobeys God's choice in a wife. This is a guy who begins to pursue a path that will eventually destroy his life and call him to miss out on God's given purpose for his life. And we see this beginning to play out in verse five. Let's take a look at Samson's secret life. Verse five, it says, Samson went down to Timnah together with his father and mother. As they approached the vineyards of Timnah, suddenly a young lion came roaring toward him. And the secret of the Lord came, or the spirit, the spirit of the Lord came upon him in power so that he tore the lion apart with his bare hands as he might have torn a young goat. But he neither told his father nor his mother what he had done. Now, remember, Samson's a Nazarite. We talked about this last week. A Nazarite is someone that has been set apart for, by God for a purpose. Since, since birth, he has, he has become accountable to three vows. A Nazarite had to abstain from wine, had to abstain from strong drink. Matter of fact, the, the English Standard Version commentary says that they had to abstain from anything that was actually associated with the vine. All right? He also couldn't ever cut his hair. And the third thing was, is he couldn't have any contact with anything that was dead. Now, when we find Samson in verse 5, where is he? Well, he's at the vineyard. The text says that he comes as far as the vineyards. Now, Maybe it's innocent. Maybe this is just where the story happens to take place, but this is where he is. 
And in verse 6, it tells us that this lion comes upon him and the Spirit of the Lord gives him supernatural power and he ends up killing this lion. But he doesn't tell his parents. Now, a few moments ago, he's standing in dad's face, boldly telling him, Dad, get the girl for me. She's a Philistine fox. I got to have her. And now he doesn't tell him what he's done. He didn't forget to tell him. He simply didn't want them to know. Samson is withholding information. We get into verse 8. He's on his way back to get the girl. And what does he do? He turns off the path. Now, his first encounter with the lion, just a case of simply being maybe at the wrong place at the wrong time. But the second encounter, the second encounter is a deliberate choice of Samson's will. He wants to take a look at the carcass. I mean, he wants to maybe kind of gloat over how he took this lion and destroyed it with his bare hands. Or maybe, maybe it's like a CSI kind of thing where he, he wants to examine the remains, catch, get, get a DNA sample. I don't know what's going on here. But he justifies it through his inquisitive mind. And besides, I mean, what does it hurt to look? I mean, let's just catch a look at this thing. It's not like, you know, he's going to touch it or anything. And how often do people do the same thing? They carry on a conversation with a coworker that's, that's full of innuendos or flirtation. It doesn't hurt. They're just messing around. It's no big deal. And we text sometime and, and, but it's innocent. I swear it's just innocent. Or we peek at pictures on the internet and it's, it's no big deal. I mean, you're not lusting. You're just looking. I mean, what's what, you know, or maybe you can't afford another outfit, but, but a girl needs to go shopping, right? It's therapy, right? We've got to pull out the plastic and ruin our lives more. When we're so far in debt, we can't see the top. When Samson went to look at the lion, he was caught off guard. Why? Because the lion's carcass had a swarm of bees in it. And along with those bees came a bunch of honey. And in that moment, Samson's body begins working against his brain. He knows that he is not supposed to touch anything dead. I mean, it's plain as day. It's in black and white. But in the moment of temptation, his heart is saying, don't do it. And his body is begging, man, you've got to go for this. You've got to try this. I mean, nobody has to know. The longer you look at what is forbidden, the closer you will come to craving it and eventually caving to it. And that's the way it is with temptation. The longer you linger, the lower you go. I mean, he just wanted to look at it, right? But what does he do in verse nine? He bends down, takes his hand, cups it, scoops out some honey. And the next thing you know, our boy is offering it to his parents. But there's a catch here. He doesn't tell them where the honey came from. Why not? Well, because... He knew he couldn't tell them that he had basically scraped it out of a dead lion. That would have meant that he would have broken one of his Nazarite vows. Nazarite, again, they were not allowed to touch anything. The problem with Samson's secret is that what he did was a direct violation of God's call that God had put on his life. But Samson kept his sin secret. Now, I wonder where he told them that he got it from. He obviously had to make up a lie. Secret le- secrets lead to lies. They lead to compromised lives. I want to ask you something this morning, and, and, and I want you to be brutally honest with yourself for just a moment. This is real life stuff. This is the stuff that impacts you. This is real truth for real life. What are you hiding this morning? Do you have a secret life that is going on behind the scenes that nobody is knowing, that nobody knows about? A lot of people do. They got things that are going on under the carpet or, you know, in behind the, you know, a, a closed door. Nobody knows about it. Last week, Michael Vick came to town. Of course, he got his bell rung by his former team. But for several years, 
Michael Vick, I mean, this guy who had just the world at his fingertips, I mean, million dollar, several million dollar contract, I mean, one of the most gifted athletes we've ever watched come into the NFL, is running a behind the scenes dog fighting deal. And when it was exposed, the man basically lost everything. Tiger Woods, for years, this guy had multiple, pair, multiple affairs with, a, with different women. And once he was exposed, he lost his family and his career went into a tailspin. And it continues to to this day. We hear of politicians who end up being exposed because they've been emailing or texting compromising pictures of themselves to women who are, who are not their spouses. And their future goes immediately down the drain. And what happens? They lose everything. And it's usually famous people whose, whose failures make the front pages. But I hear stories nearly every week, and I'm not exaggerating, of people whose names will never make a gossip column, but still end up shipwrecking their lives. Think about this. How often do you erase the history of your computer? How often do you end up padding your expense report when you travel for business? How about lying to your parents? How about, how about lying about where you're going, what you're doing? Are you deleting calls? Are you deleting texts, making sure that you beat, maybe, maybe even making sure that you beat your spouse to the mailbox for the cell phone bill? Maybe you're smoking pot. Maybe you're drinking right now, getting drunk on the weekends. Nobody knows except maybe the guys or girls that you're hanging out with. See, when you keep secrets, it's about image management. There's a distinct difference between the public you and the private you. There's a gap that exists between the me I am and the me I want you to think I am. When you keep secret sins, you'd rather be thought of as a good person than to actually be one. Rather than face the disgrace, what do you do? You, you keep a secret, a sin, a secret. Listen, God doesn't want you to be a secret keeper like that. He wants you to live a life of integrity. He wants you to live a life of openness, a life that he can actually bless, the kind of life that's ultimately going to bring you the happiness that you want. Psalm chapter 128, verse 1. It said, Blessed are, are all who fear the Lord, who walk in his ways. You will eat the fruit of your labor. Blessings and prosperity will be yours. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your sons will be like olive shoots around your table. Thus is the man blessed, this, th- thus is the man blessed who fears the Lord. So with all that said, how can we begin to to get our private lives and our public lives into a place of purity? How can we keep our private and public lives pure? First of all, you've got to stay away from temptation. Now, some people think that that if I can just flirt around with temptation, I'm going to show myself how how strong I am. Or, Or people flirt around with it because they enjoy the rush. They actually think they can handle it. Listen, don't mess around with this. Don't, don't, don't see how strong you think you are or how close you can come to the edge. In, instead, just admit how weak you are and run away from it. It doesn't become a sin until you actually give into it. But temptation can, come, can become a slippery slope real quick. My friend Chip Henderson says, a long look will lead to a growing desire that will hatch a crazy idea that will culminate into a secret sin that will lead to public pretending and hurtful lies to the ones you love and eventually it will destroy you. So if you don't want to lust, quit looking at pictures and undressing women in your mind. If your issue is spending, stop shopping. Don't, don't shop anymore. Cut it down. If you want to stop drinking, you know, stop getting drunk on the weekends, then stop going to parties where drinks are being put in your hand. If you, want, if you don't want to end up crossing the line with your date, then, then don't lay down with him or her on the couch or the bed. I mean, it's just that simple. 
2 Timothy 2.22 says, Flee the evil desires of youth, pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those things who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. So you've got to stay away from temptation. If you're being tempted by something, if it's a problem, if it's an issue, if it's becoming something that's controlling your life, flee from it. And then you've got to surround yourself with godly friends. Isolation aids secret sins. Look, at, look for, for a moment at, at verse 10 here in, in chapter 14. It says, Now his father went down to see the woman. And Samson made a feast there, as was customary for bridegrooms. When he appeared, he was given 30 companions. Now, his parents brought companions to be with him. Now, the word is associate. It can mean a close friend, but it can also mean an occasional friend, somebody you know. His dad, for all we know, could have hired a bunch of Philistines to be his pretend friends for a while here. Who knows? But whatever was going on here, the English Standard Version tells us that this, that his supposed best friend ends up marrying his fiance, And so they apparently weren't that close, his friend, these friends that were in the room. But when you read this whole story, it appears that Samson was a loner. There's no record of him having a close friend in his life. Samson, well, remember, he was set apart to be a judge for Israel, but he had no one in his life to keep him accountable. He didn't have the right kind of people around him in his life asking him the right questions, asking him the tough questions, challenging him on some of the stupid human tricks and some of the stupid decisions that he was making. It is important for all of us to have godly friends in our lives. People that are not afraid to ask us the tough questions or or even to confront us when we veer off course. It's one of the reasons why we do small groups in this church because we all need people in our lives that we can be honest with, that people that will get into some of the details that, 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 that we're willing to share or that are willing to, 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 to dig in and grab some things that you're hiding. Whether it's a men's group or a, a women's group or whether it's a couple's group, we all need to be accountable to someone. Some of you, you have, a, you have an addiction issue right now. We call it a hurt, habit, or hang up. And you need to get in to celebrate recovery. We offer that on Tuesday night. Or maybe you've got a sexual addiction as you just saw on the screen a few moments ago. We have a thing on Monday nights called walking free. And there's, you know what, right now there's too many empty chairs in there. And some of you guys need to get honest and you need to get, get real about this and you need to get some help. Some of you ladies, the very same thing. I mean, listen, it's important for us to have godly friends in our lives. Ecclesiastes chapter four, verse nine says, two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man, pity the fool who falls and has no one to help him up, Mr. T. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. But yes, a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. You think about the great leaders in the Bible. David had a Jonathan. Moses had an Aaron. Then he had a Joshua. Joshua had a Caleb. Jesus had three disciples that were closer to him than anyone else. Jesus felt the need to have close friends around him. Because godly friendship is crucial to this journey. And I want to tell you, don't be a loner. Don't isolate yourself. Don't try to do this Christian life alone. I had 10 elders up on this stage before, as we were beginning the service this morning. 10 guys that I was confirming in front of you. I wanted you to see who the elders of Westridge are. There are three of those guys. Ken Bowalda, Bill Yates, Jeff Brewer. I meet with those guys monthly. Matter of fact, my Thursday meeting comes up this week. Those are the guys... That, that they are in my life. They're asking me the tough questions. They're asking me about my marriage. They're asking me about just the things that I'm doing, how I'm parenting. I'm, I'll see one of them over talking to my wife, just asking her, how's he doing? 
Is he spending enough time at home? Is his life out of balance? I mean, you say, how did that happen? I set it up that way. Why? Because every leader, every person needs people in their life that are asking them the tough question. I, I have feet of clay. I can make mistakes just like you can. I need people in my life, my life who are asking me the tough questions, holding, me to the, holding my feet to the fire. Then you've got to be honest and confess your failures. You've got to stay away from temptation. You've got to surround yourself with godly friends. But you've got to be honest and you can, you've got to confess your failures. Samson kept his sin a secret. And then he ends up, as we're going to find out next week, he ends up making a joke about his secret. And then his secret made a joke out of him. Secret sin grows. It becomes more convoluted and complicated. And the best you can do is to out yourself with God and with other people, maybe those that you've lied to, and then move forward. Rick Pitino, who's a legendary basketball coach in in Kentucky, he says, when you tell the truth, your mistakes become part of your past. When you tell a lie, your mistakes become part of your future. When you tell a truth, your mistakes become part of your past. When you tell a lie, your mistakes become part of your future. So when it comes to confession, who, we should, who should we confess our, confess our sins to? First of all, we need to confess to God. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, He, meaning God, is faithful and just and will, will forgive us our sins, and He will purify us from all unrighteousness. Now, the word confess in 1 John 1 means to agree with. That means you need to agree with God about your sin. And one of the reasons that some of you might be stuck in a secret sin is because you refuse to agree with God that your sin is actually a sin. Another reason why maybe some of you are stuck is because you feel that God is mad at you because you keep coming back to him with the same sin over and over and over again. Listen, God wants you to keep coming to him with confession. He desires that from you. There's not a limit to his forgiveness. Now, with that said, there's not, that's not a green light to keep sinning. There are still consequences to our sin. There are casualties along the way. A lot of time gets wasted in our personal lives just doing sin management. There are a lot of blessings that we are missing out on. But you need to keep coming to him with confession. Don't stop. You keep coming before God with a repentant heart. Don't give up. God already knows what you're dealing with. You say, well, why, why in the world do I need to tell him if he already knows? He asks us to come before him with a broken and contrite heart, to confess our sins. There's something about confession that opens up the world of forgiveness to us and allows us to start fresh again. See, when you do that, here's what you're going to find. You're going to find a God who is forgiving and ready to restore. You're going to find a God who is ready to cleanse you from all the sin and all the junk in your life. So start off with confessing to God, and then you need to confess to someone else. James 5.16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and it's effective. Now, some of you in this room, you need to get a friend and you need to confess what's going on in your life and you need to ask them to help you, to hold you accountable. Maybe you need to confess to a pastor on this staff and you need to ask them, help, just direct me in the right way. Help me to get, help me to get healing. Help me to, to, to find a place where I can, I can get help, the help that I need. Maybe you need to sit down with your husband or your wife this afternoon. And you need to come clean about a secret sin. And that may involve you pulling in a Christian counselor that can help you sort through whatever the issue might be. And I'm telling you, see, confession is not easy. Sometimes confession may actually cause your life to get a a lot harder. It may cause a marriage to go, I mean, just to really get tough. But I want to tell you something. 
Confession and repentance is where healing is found. I heard someone say one time that you are as sick as your secrets. Satan works in your secrets. There is no power in your secrets, only guilt in your secrets. And some of you are in desperate need of healing this morning. Again, James 5.16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another. Pray for each other so that you may be what? Healed. Confession and repentance is also where forgiveness is found. I mean, if there was ever a guy in the Bible that knew a a thing or two about secrets and had some sad consequences attached to them, it was King David. He committed adultery, and then to cover up the unintended pregnancy, he plotted a murder. But God knew, and he sent a prophet named Nathan to confront David. And David, what did he do? He confessed, and he experienced forgiveness. But the prophet said, David, there's going to be consequences for this sin. And there were. His family was divided. His kingdom was overthrown. And his love child died. And in the midst of all this, here's here's what David said in Psalm 32, verse verse 3 and 5. He says, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. I was a wreck. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. Lord, I was feeling just such guilt. I was feeling your presence. My strength was just basically sapped as in the heat of summer. And then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. And I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord. And I love this. You forgave the guilt of my sin. David not only knew the consequences of secret sin, but he also knew the power of God's forgiveness. And then finally, confession and forgiveness and repentance is where freedom is found. Where there is confession, there's no more pretending. Where there is confession, there is no more looking over your shoulder. You are free to be the the, the person that God created you to be. You're free to be you, the real you. I want to just throw this right into your face this morning. Ready? It's time for some of you in this room to come clean. It's time for for you to let go of whatever secret life you may may be living. I mean, listen, what if you could look back over your life Let's say God gives you just a great full life and you could look back over your life and you could see a life that God was truly able to bless. What if if you could look back on your life and you you could see a life that that God was able to use to to, to, to create a huge kingdom impact? What if Jesus was, was honored in and through your life? What if your kids could look at you at the end of your life and go, this is a man, this is a woman, that I'm proud to call dad, that I'm proud to call mom. For that to truly happen, some of you right now, you need to come clean. And you may need to come clean more than once. Matter of fact, I promise you, you will. Listen, there are no perfect people in this church. I'm telling you, I'm, I'm not a perfect pastor. If my life over the last 14 years was put, was put on that screen, some of you would probably walk out. I, have struggle, I've, I struggle with many things like you do. But we are here. I am here to help you. And I'm going to tell you, there's power in confession. And as you continue to confess, as you continue to come before the Lord, here's what he does. He just gives you more and more and more strength to put some of those things that you're struggling with. He puts them behind you. It doesn't mean there aren't new struggles in front of you. But you tackle those, you come clean, you keep confessing, you keep coming, and you just keep putting them behind you. The goal is to continue to be more and more like Jesus. There is help in this church if you need it. We're going to talk more about that in just a moment. But listen to this, and it sounds very simple, but it's extremely profound. 
God loves you. God loves you and his grace, it is deep and it is wide enough to cover a multitude of sins, including yours. And there is nothing that you are currently doing or have done or will do in the future that has not already been covered by the blood that he shed on the cross. And as his children, he asks us, just come into my presence and confess. Forgiveness is already there. Repent. Forgiveness is already there. It's already there for you. And some of you in this room, let me tell you where the first step begins. It is coming to the Lord and basically realizing and recognizing that you do not have a personal relationship with him. Understanding because you've never put your faith and trust in him as to be your savior, that all these prayers of maybe confession are just falling on deaf ears because you don't truly belong to him. There's never been a moment in your life where you have looked at your life and said, Lord, without you, I'm destined for an eternity in hell. Lord, but with you and because of what Jesus has done for me on the cross, there is an opportunity for forgiveness. There's an opportunity for new life. There's an opportunity for eternity in heaven. That's where you start at this very moment. That's where confession and repentance begins for you. It's the very first step on this journey. I want to ask all of you to bow your head for just a moment. If you never made that decision before, that very first decision, I want to encourage you right now just to pray with me. Just say something like this. Lord, at this very moment, I am asking for your forgiveness. Lord, I need forgiveness from the sin of unbelief, of maybe even feeling that somehow or another that I would get to heaven in my own merit and my own strength. That feeling that somehow or another that what, what I have done in this earth or my good deeds, Lord, could make up for the sinfulness. And the sin, Lord, that, that I was born into that has kept me separated from you. But because of Jesus and what he has done, and because of Jesus alone, I realize that there's forgiveness. There's payment of sin. The blood that you shed on the cross was enough. And so, Jesus, I confess that you are Lord, you are Savior. And I come to God through the cross, through what Jesus has done for me. And I ask you, Jesus, to be my personal Savior. Would you come into my life and forgive me of my sins, rescue me from an eternity without you. Help me to take that next step. If you just prayed that prayer, I want you to take out your your uh, communication card. I want you to, to fill it out. I want you to let us know who you are. Just check the box that says, this morning I pray to receive Jesus as my Savior. I want you to turn it in at the host center out in the atrium after the service. We want to help you to get started, to take the next step after that one. For some of you, it's time to come clean. You're a believer. You put your trust in Christ years ago or maybe recently, but it's that secret sin. It's that secret life that just keeps dogging you. If it were to be revealed, it would, it would wreck you. It would, but it's the thing that's causing you to miss out. To miss out on God's blessing, to miss out on a life of character, a life of integrity. To miss out on, on having huge kingdom impact, maybe having your prayers answered. Maybe you're enabling your own kids by the secret sins you're living to, to lead them into secret sins themselves. I don't know. But my challenge is to you this morning is to come clean. Confess. Put it out there before God. Confess to God and then confess to someone else. Bring, that in, bring, bring other people into the situation. 
If it's, if it's just a stronghold in your life, get the help you need. If you keep coming to God and just confessing, but it, you just can't, you can't, you can't kick it, you can't beat it. Get the help you need. Bring other people into your life to help them, to help you, to keep you accountable. Father, we are all sinners in this room, Lord. Many, many of us are sinners that have been forgiven, but we still deal with this thing called the flesh. And Lord, for many of us, as we continue to confess, the, the, the power of the flesh gets weaker and weaker, but for some of us, Lord, because we, we, we're not willing to come before you, it just gets stronger and stronger, and it's just got this hold over us. And Lord, we need to realize that we can put it at the foot of the cross, that when we do, it's covered by your blood, and we can walk away from it, and by your power and strength, we can struggle with it no more. And we ask for that power today. We ask for that strength. So in this moment, I just want you to confess. Do you want to come forward at these steps and confess? Come on. You want to sit at your, sit at your seat? You want to stay, whatever. But just confess and repent. And say, God, I want to start fresh. I want to walk out of this room fresh and clean, knowing that your forgiveness has covered this and that I'm going to walk in power today. Thank you, Lord, for that promise in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand.